Welcome again. Thank you for braving this. I am Eugene Borovich. I am a chairman and CEO of Your Coach Health, as well as an advisor to Health Excel. So thank you to Health Excel for putting this together. The way this uh, came around, um, when I was in my old gig, and when Livongo went public in 2019, I remember saying, hey, you know, I was at Bayer running their G4A digital health team, and as the biggest IPO uh, in digital health, I just wanted Glenn in Berlin. So through wonderful Justin Massa, we got to Glenn and John, and next thing you know, Glenn and John are in Berlin. John and I were catching up uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, about a month-ish ago, and said, wow, you're in New York, so first Berlin, Let's do the same fireside chat or similar in different topics, different hats now. As I joked around in my LinkedIn post, uh, now we're both wiser. I still have less hair. Uh, well, Glenn is wiser, um, maybe not. And so we kind of pulled this off and pulled this together. And thank you for Health Excel team to uh, really pulling this together because I said, I just need to be able to show up. And they did it. And thank you, Megan. Uh, she is the only, I think, American on the Health Excel team who braved to come back here. So. Um, just a little bit, you know, since Health Excel is hosting, uh, Health Excel is a group of leaders, trailblazers, trailblazers, and change agents in the health space. Um, getting shit done, really, that's really their, their motto, pulling together with an awesome advisory team, powering all of that up, so kudos to them. And um, with this, I would like to welcome uh, Glenn Tolman. You on? Let's see. Am I on? Okay. Right. There we go. So first of all, let me see the socks. There's okay. the socks. There you go. Uh, we were trying to print your coach socks so I can match you, but we didn't make it. I'm sorry. Wait, we have gonna... socks. We have socks for you. So, so we have <laughs> like, some we'll, socks. We'll, we'll get that to that later. Okay. But uh, welcome to New York. So first, Berlin. Now in New York, where are we doing this next? I don't know, Let's but Berlin out. was amazing. Hold on one second. I have to. This was. This is important. So there you go. All this right. is the, the presentation of the socks right Perfect. here. Perfect. Thank you. Transparent socks. All right. Those socks will make you run faster and Excellent. think more clearly. I, I love it. I, I need it, especially these days. <laughs> um, so before we get into what you're doing now with Transparent, I really wanted to get into Glenn the Enigma, Glenn who always on head. Um, what do you... What do you really, what, what's your routine? What keeps you, I mean, I think, you know, in the last year and a half, two, everybody had something to do with some mental health, keeping the self, you know, sharp and on the edge and, and, and really focused. What is your routine, Glenn? How do you, how do you well, keep sane? Well, first of all, um, you know, I think you've got to do what you love to do. So... You know, I love to build businesses. I love to work with people and develop people. Um, and so for me, it's not work. It's work on something that matters, work on making a difference, and um, you know, do it with people who you love to do it with, who have that same sense of commitment. So that really didn't change. A lot of people said, well, why did you not take a rest after Livongo? And it's like, rest what? Like, Livongo was exhilarating. It was great people. We were helping. We had just crossed a million people using Livongo services. And, uh, 
you know, there was nothing better. And what was fascinating about Livongo was when we announced the transaction, $18.5 billion, 250 people became millionaires. And people were upset with me. People were like, why did, you, why did we do this? We didn't need to do this. Nobody, we love this place. We don't want anything to change. The, well, the millionaires is, were upset with you? Everybody was okay. upset. Yeah, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't matter. I mean, because they weren't there for the money. Um, they were there because they were committed to actually making it easier for people with chronic conditions to stay healthier. And remember, about a third of the people at Livongo either had a chronic condition like diabetes or had a family member who did. So, and this is not personal health information because it's public, but Dave Engberg, our CEO, our CTO, um, he uh, was one of the founders of Evernote. And when we were recruiting for a CTO, we're like, we could never get this guy. And it was the opposite. Dave was like, I want to come and work there because my, I watched my father suffer with diabetes. And, you know, nobody should go through that. And I want to fix that. And so, you know, we were in the heart of the valley in Mountain View, you know, within throwing range of Facebook and Apple and and recruiting was literally easy because people said, I don't want to do another spreadsheet or, or search widget, engine or, gadget. or game. Or, yeah. You know, I want to do something that matters. So, you know, but that's what, that's what it, for me, that's what it's about. You know, that said, you know, you, you have to find whatever your balance is, whatever your routine is. But I did miss people. I mean, I love to be with people. Yeah. And it's, you Especially know, the last two years, right? Zoom, year Zoom is great, but... It's not the same. And there's this great research that shows that if you watch an activity live and you watch an activity on a TV, on a TV about a, a third of your brain lights up and live about half of your brain or 60% lights up and because we're all taking in all these other signals um, that I, I you I think don't we see. just brought up that ratio. I think 100% of you guys are lit up, right? Yeah, okay. there we go. There we go. So it's great to see you all. Thank you for coming out. Um, you, you mentioned the $18.5 billion sale. Uh, you obviously stepped up to the board of Teladoc at that point in time. And I am not a journalist or gossip columnist, but uh, it was a bold move to start Transparent. And can you tell us a little bit of gossip here on, on you stepping back down from the board? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, if you're a CEO, and you merge your company, you sell your company, having the old, the former CEO on the board is probably never a great idea. So let's just start with that. Because, you know, it's somebody who this is their baby, and you're going to change it, as it should change. And so you don't want somebody saying, I have a better way to do this. I know this business inside and out. You don't want to send a mixed message to your people to say, you know, who should I ask? Who's really running this? You, that dynamic probably isn't the best. So you have a transition period, and I think that's best. That's number one. Number two, you know, I wanted to make sure that um, there was never any sense of conflict. Not that there is conflict, that there should be, but that we didn't constrain Teladoc from doing what they needed to do and from me doing what I wanted to do going forward. And so it was just cleaner yep. to, after a year, to separate or when the board, not quite a year, but when the actual time for re-upping on the board. And that was an option. We had all of our directors had two years of service 
on the board guaranteed, but I decided to opt out earlier. Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually catching up with Dave Snow the other day. I was trying to get him over here, but he couldn't make it from Connecticut. But I, I think it would have been a fun conversation also. <laughs> Dave is terrific, and he's built a great company. And yeah, yeah. Uh, at Transparent, we use them. Okay. So well, that was go. a perfect example. So David Snow, chairman of the board, um, you know, I was doing a contract with him. I'm a board member. So that alone, you know, somebody could say, oh, there's a conflict because of that. We just, we wanted to avoid any sense of conflict. And by the way, there's products uh, that Teladoc has, you know, I can think of two or three that we, we expect to use, we'd like to use at uh, transparent. So I hear yep. they have a pretty good solution in chronic conditions, for example. And <laughs> you know, we'd love to we'd love to offer that. It's it's the best in the market. And so from that perspective, again, yep. that you need to be arm's length. I can't be negotiating with them and also be a board member. Yep. Wouldn't feel yep. right. Yep. Clean slate. So l let's fast forward uh, with your track record uh, and your yet another crazy idea of starting transparent. You went out and you raised, I think, in October of last year, if I'm not mistaken, $40 million, um, an acquisition, and then another $58 million. I'm not keeping track of the dates. Mm -hmm. And in total, that's $98 mil, and we're seeing these insane, insane investments and insane valuations. Given your track record, why only 98? <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have been, well, you, you couldn't, two more to hit 100? I don't know. Well, we didn't even want to do the second raise. The second raise was, was kind of encouraged, I was going to say pushed on us, but encouraged by our existing investors, General Catalyst and uh, my own firm, Sevenwire, which again, there were arm's length, so Lee Shapiro, my longtime business partner, runs it. And they both said, hey, we want to put more money to work. And we kind of said, we don't need more money yet. Um, and they said, we should put more money to work because we were getting a lot of those crazy offers, people coming in saying, we want to back you for ridiculous amounts. And um, so we did take on some additional capital. The bridge transaction was a stock transaction, so it didn't need any cash um, from that perspective. And you know what we were doing wasn't burning a lot of uh, a lot of cash. As the company is scaling up, it will burn more. Relative to the market, look, there's no question the market is frothy right now, but it's not a bubble. You know, people, people kind of mix that up. A bubble means that people are investing, it's going to pop, everybody's going to lose their money. I think what we're seeing here is this is actually, we're seeing healthcare being transformed. And there's going to be eight or 10 or 12 enormous winners. I mean, you know, $50 billion, $100 billion winners. And then there's going to be a bunch of bad bets. That's what venture is. But this is not a bubble because this transformation is real. And, you know, it has been encouraged by what we saw from COVID. I think when we look back 10 years from now, um, we will say, you know, COVID was terrible, the loss of life, which will mourn. I think the economic damage, which will, on an individual level, which is terrible, but on a societal level, not actually that big a, a bump. And last but not least, behavioral health is going to be a long-term issue. But I think we're going to look back and say that's when the economy went digital. If you look at the use of money, coins and dollar bills, 
70% down, crazy numbers. Everybody's moved to, like that would have taken years. Telehealth was at three to 5%. It's gonna end up, it went of course to 100%, but it's gonna end up 10X that in a year, a 10X change in a year. That would have taken, we projected, five years. And um, so I think across the board, we're gonna see this acceleration, but it also showed people what we can do we have the right leadership. It's not about the technology. It's all about willpower. And it also set changed expectations. People said, hey, now that I know I don't have to go to the doctor, this is great. And employers looked at it differently as well. So I, I love your comment that it's not a bubble, right? Uh, and again, just looking at pure economics of companies and their revenues and the multiples, is the big hypothesis that roughly third of our trillions of, money, of, of dollars spent in the hospital system and all of these investments into virtual care, uh, primary care, you know, early detection, is that gonna take the, the pool of money away from the hospitals? What, what makes you think about it's not a bubble with some of these well, valuations? Well, there's gonna be a redistribution, yeah. um, there's no question. But if you look at, if you do the meta-analysis of where the money's going in healthcare, it's pretty fascinating because the bulk of the money is actually, as it is in most industries that are, have not yet transformed, in the middle. So, you know, think about where value has been created in our economy. So Airbnb is now the largest hospitality company, but it doesn't own any hotels. What it did was it connected you as a consumer with the person who owns the place you want to rent. Uber connected you as a consumer with the person driving the car. Travelocity allowed you to eliminate the travel agent and book your own travel and do it more efficiently than you could have ever done it. Like no one would go back to a travel agent for you know, the average trip because they'd say it'd be inconvenient. I can do it faster and better and more choices by myself. What we don't have is in healthcare, we've never seen that happen. And so you have the middle when, you know, and not meaning to offend anybody, but when United Healthcare makes $5 billion in a quarter, 40% profit increase in a pandemic, and they aren't providing any care, they're in the middle. That's where the friction is. So, you know, that's what good software and good business process does. It takes the middle out. And so that's really where the Disin focus is. Disintermediation. Exactly. Uh, I never can pronounce that word. I did it today. Um, let, you know, talking about valuations and uh, the famous SPACs, right? So I, I know you have one. Uh, I think Lee has one. Um, there's a, and there's companies that have been SPACing out with, again, back to once we start seeing some of the slide decks and it gets more public. Again, the valuation. Are there enough targets for these 50, 60, how many SPACs in healthcare? Yeah, I'm, I want to. I'll comment on that, but I want to say one other thing that I was thinking about, and that is, if you remember Haven, everybody remembers Haven, and Haven was essentially three of the largest, smartest companies in the world, saying we are no longer aligned with the payers um, because every time we spend more, they make more. So we're going to do this ourselves. Now, we can talk about the reasons why it wasn't successful, but the day it was announced, remember what happened in the market to payers and PBMs. About $50 billion of um, value was lost in those stocks. 
So that 50 billion is an example of people thought, well, if they do it, all these other companies are going to lose 50 billion dollars of market cap. Now, they didn't do it and they eventually recovered that, but that gives you a sense of how big that shift in value can be if some of these companies like Transcarent are successful. So now let's talk about SPACs. So on SPACs, I think what's happened is, look, there's an enormous amount of money coming into this country in particular uh, because it remains the best place to invest and the safest place to invest. Still a safe haven. Exactly. Yeah. So tons of money coming in. People are sitting on money with fundamentally no interest rate. So SPACs were saying, well, look, we're getting no interest. We're sitting on it. Let's pick a group of smart people in any industry, put them together, and give them an incentive to say, if you can figure out something to do, it gets us a better return. We're just going to be sitting on the money. So that's kind of the theory behind SPACs. And then so you had people go out there. I think SPACs are going to be, like everything else, a mixed bag. Some of it was rushed into, and people said, hey, we can SPAC this company. It may not be ready to be public yet, like a lot of companies. There is a lack of targets. So I think people are going to get desperate as you get to the end of that yep. two-year window to say, what you know, we need a target to SPAC. And I think we've seen a little bit of that. You know, being public, there's a lot of things about being public. But first, if you're really in growth stage, being public isn't always the best place to be. Um, because it's harder to make investments, it's harder to do the right thing as a public company. Um, and there's great reasons to go public. It's about branding, it's about creating a category, it's about you know, having a new form of equity and a way to buy things. There's lots of, but, but simply the SPAC method of going public, I think some companies undersold themselves and some companies went out too early and some companies should never have been public. So and, it's and a we've challenge. And we've seen quite a lot of this, right? And, and some of the criticism around, uh, you know, the existing revenues and some of the projections and some would even argue, you know, is the SPAC market for kind of, B-rated companies, for lack of a better term, yeah. because it's an exit point and, and brings some transparency to this, but then also raises a lot of eyebrows. That's right. So before we get into the transparent and the big idea, uh, and maybe this is heard here first, is transparent going to spack out through one of no. the spacks? Okay. No. <laughs> I can assure you that we have uh, okay. years of work to do before okay. we do any kind of transaction. So the 18 like months are, uh, of, of, of what, what's in there, not enough time to, no. to, to, to no. build it. Okay. So let's get to, uh, you alluded to a couple of points already, but what, what was the big aha moment and big idea, right? Because I think as you're sitting down with Himant and others and looking at the problem statement in the market, there's a lot of competition. I mean, again, to a certain extent, while maybe indirectly between the Teladoc and Doctor in Demand and so many navigation companies like Accolade, the, the, the space is so busy. Employers have no idea what to even start with, right, with mm -hmm. all these solutions. What's the big aha moment and what's the sure. big idea? Well, so I don't think there's any competition for what we're doing. And, um, Spoken like a true entrepreneur. <laughs> Love it. So, so why is that? Well, first of all, so let's set the stage of where we are today. So you have a few different important players in the equation. So you have health consumers. That's all of us, our, our sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, significant others, partners, wives, husbands. And 
if you survey across the board, what people say is healthcare is more confusing, more complex, and more costly than ever before. And it's getting worse. That's what people say. So there's enormous dissatisfaction with where we are. That's a good thing if you're selling something new. And if you look at the bankruptcies in the United States, the number one cause of bankruptcy, healthcare costs. So this is fundamentally broken. So that's number one. Number two, if you go to large self-insured employers and you ask them, they say for 20 years, payers have told us that they're going to improve the quality of care, reduce the cost of care, help us better manage it, create care that our people are satisfied with. They've done none of that, none of it. And every year they come back and say the same thing. It's amazing. And so they are absolutely, they've had it. And now COVID just put an extra spin on that to where they're, they're incredibly frustrated, willing to try almost anything. Um, and last but not least, you have the other important player, because there's only three important players in healthcare. There's all of us, health consumers. There's the people who help us pay for the care. That's our employers. And then there's people who provide the care. So we need doctors and surgeons and folks like that and hospitals. That's it. That's all we need. We don't need anything else. And everything else is overhead. It's cost. It's friction. So on that third group, the health systems, they basically have said, look, we're getting beat up by payers. We've been beat up for a long time. You know, they come in. We charge $10,000. They say, we'll pay you $6,000. But they don't pay us $6,000. We get to fight for the 6,000. We win 80% of the time. We have to hire people to fight. And then even when we're due it, they stretch us out for three or four months. And they're only focused on cost. They're not focused on quality. So if today you needed hip surgery, you go to your payer, you could, they could have you walk right by the best place in town, the lowest infection rate, to send you to a place that has none of those qualities, and you wouldn't know. And you're trusting that they do it, but we're no longer trusting them. So we have this enormous dissatisfaction with the status quo. And fundamentally, the problem with navigators is um, they're navigating through a broken system. So you know, think about this. So you're, um, you're at home, and you drop a glass in a room you know, on the way to the bathroom. And it shatters. There's glass all over. Now, there's two ways to solve that problem. One is you clear a small path through that room. And anytime someone needs to use the bathroom, you say, I'll walk you there. I'll navigate you through that room. You know, that would be a solution. That would be a healthcare solution. Or you could clean up the glass, which would, in every other industry, you'd fix the system. And what we do in healthcare, we're saying, hey, let's get a navigator to nav us, navigate us through this broken system. Just like you know, another example from my past, I was in the electronic health record business. So we build a system, the only place in software in the whole world, we build a system that is fundamentally unusable. It's called Epic. And what we say is not that we're going to fix the software to Notice make it you usable. Notice you use all scripts, by the way. That's right. Okay. That's right. But uh, we don't say we're going to make the system usable and fix the software. What we say is hire a new category of people called scribes. And they're going to sit there and help the physician use the software. Now, think about any other industry where you use software, where you say it's just too hard to use. We'll hire an extra person to use it because this is too hard to use for really smart people called physicians. Like, these are the smartest people in the world. They can't figure out how to use this. So in healthcare, what we've done is 
like we get, raise your hand if you've ever received a bill that says this is not a bill, okay? So everybody, for those watching, everybody's raised their hand, okay? And so think about what happened there, the thought process. The thought process is somebody said, we're getting all these calls because the paper we've sent out, people are calling to say, should I pay this? Should I not pay this? Is this a bill? Is this not a bill? And somebody says, well, let's print on there. It's not a bill. So they print millions of times. This is not a bill. Now you get it and you say, well, if it's not a bill, why did they send it and what is it? So you still call them. And um, instead of saying, well, if everybody thinks it's a bill and it's not a bill, why don't we make it not look like a bill? Or why don't we not send it at all? So at Transparent, what we said is, we have this crazy idea. Let's not send people any bills at all. Because if they need the surgery, let's not have a copay, let's not have coinsurance, let's get them the surgery and get them back to living their life. It's a crazy idea. But if you're a navigator, you spend 20% of your time sorting out bills. Well, let's not send the bill. It's ridiculous to send the bill. I mean, free is good enough for me, right? That's right. Uh, well, and it's not really free, free, just to be clear. Your employer is <laughs> right. paying for it. Yep. And, but, We've convinced employers that paying for high-quality care when it's necessary um, makes a lot of sense. To have an employee say, I need heart surgery, but I'm going to delay it because I don't have the coinsurance, that doesn't help anybody. And, you know, and frankly, that doesn't happen with rich people. So we're also talking about a lot of this being an equity issue. The beauty of Transparent and the company we bought, Bridge Health Leader, surgical solutions was if you're at a customer like Target, one of our customers, and you need hip surgery, whether you're the CEO or whether you're the janitor, you get the same options. And they're high quality options to go there with no copay, period, full stop. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Everybody gets the, and that way, we don't have two systems where the wealthy people say, oh, we're going to go to the best place, and everybody else gets whatever they get in the local market. So we're opening that choice up. So Glad. thank you. Thank you. We're, we're still at 100% here. That's good. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Not I'm that I'm gonna, excited about no, I get a little excited about it. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to just challenge you a little bit here on there's been efforts on bringing transparency. I mean, the, the cost structures that you talked about, some of this is just artificial because of all of this. It's been tried and tried and tried and tried. Why transparent? Why are you guys going to win and simplify the life of Jane and Joe? Sure. Well, look, I think one is timing, which is, you know, it's, a lot of things are about timing. And we are at a very unique time right now where people are very focused on health and care um, because we understand that we can't have functioning economies. You know, we were taught that by COVID. Sadly, we needed to learn that, but um, we were taught that. And I think there's a focus also on saying, if we're ever going to change this, now is the time. And so we have, I mean, the amount of interest has been off the charts. We'll do what took three years at Livongo in a year at Transparent um, because of this level of interest of saying the system doesn't work. And I think Haven was a wake-up call. I mean, these are the smartest companies in the world saying our healthcare system doesn't work in the way it's designed now. 
and we're going to have to do it ourselves. And you know, we could argue why it didn't get done, and uh, but in fact, the message was very clear. You you kept mentioning. Uh, Again, I'll use the word navigating, but uh, navigating surgical care. That's one piece of the puzzle for an employee and so is the employer. Um, we talked earlier, I mean, with the consolidation that we're seeing across chronic disease management, new virtual platforms, where's your guys' head on how you're expanding this? Because again, if you come into an employer with a sort of a point solution today, what's that expansion look like yeah. for you guys? Well, again, employers, one of the challenges they have is the average, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that said the average em, large employer today has between 14 and 20 separate contractual relationships to try to provide care to their people, and they're failing. And so, um, so we're forcing large employers to be in the healthcare business, and they don't want to. They want to do their own business. And so... Going in with another, even a really good solution, isn't the answer. So what we've said is, one, we're going to change all of that. We're going in with one solution that has everything you need. It's on your phone, or you can call and talk to a human, not a recording. And you look at your phone, you're logged in, single sign-on, and anything you need will take care of. And that's what it is. And so it's one full comprehensive experience. I don't think I like to think of it as an experience that you go through that does three things. And it's everything we want in every other part of the market. One, we provide unbiased information. So for some of you who are older, like me, you remember that in the old days you called a travel agent. And I can remember doing this and I say, I've got to fly from Chicago to New York in the morning. They say, well, there's no flights then. I say, I know there's a flight then. I saw an ad on TV. And they said, nope, there's no flights. And I said, I know it is. And then I see Southwest ad come back on. Why didn't they tell me about that? Because they weren't making money. That wasn't really unbiased information. Just like today, if you go to a payer and say, tell me the best place, they'll say, here's who's on our network. How they get on the network? Lower cost or lower, lower prices. So, so first, we want unbiased information. Show me what the options are. Second, we want trusted guidance. So if you tell me to go somewhere, don't tell me to go there because you're getting a kickback. Or, I'm sorry, it's called a rebate in healthcare to make it seem more <laughs> acceptable. It's a kickback. It should be illegal. You should know if somebody's benefiting from you getting care one place rather than another. And then third, now that you know the right place to go and you get to make the choice, not a narrow network, you get to make the choice, then last but not least, you need access. So many people in this room, I guarantee you, have called up a friend who's in healthcare. And frankly, it's almost anybody, because we get desperate when things happen. And we say, but particularly a doctor. You're a doctor. I have this situation going on. What should I do? Where should I go? I trust you. Can you give me that? And then they give you, like, they don't really know. And so they give you the best they can give you. It's like asking your mother or father for you know, advice on what to do with your kids, and their advice is like 35 years old or something. It's like, you shouldn't do that. Like, we all do it, but like, they're telling you the best thing they knew from 35 years ago that they asked somebody, probably their parents, which was another 35 years. So we want three things. We want unbiased information, trusted guidance, and easy access to high-value care. 
and that's what we're going to provide. We're going to do it. We're going to be at full risk with, my next with our employer partners, and, but we're also going to change some other things. For example, for our health system partners, we're going to pay them in advance. You need a hip surgery, we send them a check for a bundle. They take care of your hip surgery. There's no bills. We don't fight with them later. We just send them the money. Just like I, I call the plumber. The plumber said, can you pay in advance? Here's the parts I need to order. I pay the plumber. I go to get surgery. I don't have to pay them sometimes forever. They just send me bills that aren't bills. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So we create a business model that works for everybody involved, and that is the health systems say, so you're really going to pay us, and you're going to pay us in advance. We love to do business, and we'll give you great pricing. We'll do a great job. And people understand that they're going to get the care. And the only thing we say is things like, we'll pay for you to get a second opinion. So before someone cuts open your body, you should have a second opinion. That makes a lot of sense. Now, there's pioneers out there. Walmart, for example, for years has been saying to people on back surgery, whether you're the janitor working in the warehouse or an executive, if you want back surgery, we're going to fly you to some of the best places in the world, have you meet with a surgeon. And 40% of the time, the surgeon says, I would never do this operation. It's going to make you worse. 40%. So there's a huge savings by giving people better information. But we know, we all know we do too many surgeries. So we got to figure out which ones, give people the right advice. But if we do the surgery, send them to a high-quality place. Uh, by the way, just a quick comment. I don't remember a travel agent, so just Good. You know, side, side I knew, note. I knew just, with just those kidding. shoes, getting away wearing those shoes, <laughs> you got to be in your 20s. Um, so... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, you guys are a startup, a well-funded one, but let's face it, um, you know, for you guys to spin th some things up, to make acquisitions, where does a startup founder that's trying to build a vertical solution come in? How does he or she compete with Transparent, or is it a partnership? How, you know, give a little bit of the advice to the startup community on how to work with companies like yourself that have the scale from almost day zero. Sure. Well, I think, first of all, um, healthcare is an enormous, it's the largest industry in the world that's going to keep growing. And so there is, there's not going to be one solution. Um, and every time we think some industry is like, who thought 15 years ago, you don't remember this, you're too no, young. But, no. Coffee used to be like a, you know, 25 cents and you got it wherever you worked. And then all of a sudden, somebody came along with an idea that people would pay $5 and go leave their office in bad weather and wait in line. Like, that has to be the most ridiculous idea in the world, a.k.a. Starbucks. So it wasn't. And we see this innovation everywhere. So there's always room for new ideas. There's room for committed people doing something better. And as good as we are at something, there's going to be you know, people that we work with. Our only issue, we're not going to invent all this. There's not a chance. But what we're going to do is make the experience seamless. So think of like one good example is the iPhone. So when you got your new iPhone, you didn't think of it as just another phone. I can get any of these three phones. You're like, no, this is an iPhone. The experience, the box. 
I know a lot of people who save the box from their iPhone. They're like, this is too valuable a box to throw away. The design of the iPhone, the experience, it was all about that. And when you use an app on the iPhone, like my son used to say to me, he said, why are you paying for music? You can get it free. You go to this site, you download it here, and you do this. And I was like, it's just so easy. It's like, and I can't do that anyway. I'm in the software business, for God's sakes. But, um, but they created this ease of use. So we're happy to partner with really smart people, but the experience has to be seamless. It has to be single sign-on. It has to be no billing experience. It has to be cost justified in terms of what we're doing. So there's plenty of room for innovation across the board. And you know that's one. And then for other companies, look, every large, particularly payers and others, are going to be acquirers because they're going to try to get some of that magic that people like you create. It's really hard to create that magic in a really large company, and that is a challenge. Yep. And so, you know, that's that's tough to do. It's tough to innovate in a large company. So there's a lot of paths for innovation. So I got like 27 more questions, but we don't have time for 27 more questions. Uh, so I'm gonna jump to fun. Okay. What does Glenn do for fun? Like, I actually heard that you ran Iron Man. I did. I, I did. And the advice there is it would be great to train for an Ironman before you do it. That was one thing I learned. Nutrition, really important. I didn't do any of that. So, uh, but I finished, and that was my objective. So I, uh, I didn't just, get hurt. Just reminiscing when I used to live in Amsterdam, uh, we, my wife and I, Marina, signed up for Tough Mudder. And she was here. I was traveling actually back and forth. And I literally landed from Amsterdam without any training. And did and finished the Tough Mudder. So um, that yeah. was years ago. I had hair then, um, but uh, so fun. So, you know, again, I'm I'm blessed to with a few things. One, I love to build companies. I love forming teams. Um, I love doing things that matter. So I was on a flight recently, and the pilot came back. He said, "I hope you don't mind. I, I googled you, and um, I just want to say thank you." I said, well, "Sure, uh, thank you for." getting me here safely, and he said, no, um, I have type 1 diabetes, and for a number of years, we couldn't fly. And because of your work at JDRF and ADA, none of which I personally did, but I'm a big supporter of both those organizations, you know, you got it so we could fly again. And, you know, little conversations like that. And remember that Livongo started in part because of the experience of my son, who was diagnosed with type 1 when he was 8. And I saw how hard we made it for people to stay healthy. And eventually, my partners, I think, wanting to get me out of our fund, basically said, you've got to do something full time. Here's a great thing for you to do. But, but um, there are big problems that we need to solve. We need to get health care to everybody in this country. The government's not going to do it. And we need to make it high quality and affordable. And the private market needs to do that. So. So I love doing that, and you know I love that process of building companies on weekends. I have office hours for our startups, so as long as they're willing to start early, we spend half an hour, some of which we've been doing for years, and you know we built some incredible companies. I know you're up process. at four, so I'll, I'll FaceTime so. you then with your coach. <laughs> um, la last question, I promise. Mm -hmm. So you talked about people, and uh, people comes up constantly in the conversations that we have. 
culture, right? That sense of urgency, uh, the drive. How do you, from a leadership perspective, how do you instill that culture in your companies? Well, what, one, what's the magic? One, it's about you know when you're mission driven, it matters, and so you know that's one piece. Two, you know I think you give people. Uh, responsibility and you give them ownership but you know you also give them real-time feedback and I think you create an environment you know working hard and having fun and this this kind of false trade-off between um, this idea of work-life balance like that's a ridiculous concept work-life balance like somehow is work good or bad and you need balance like no work-life prioritization absolutely so you clearly, but there's gonna, when you're doing an IPO, there's no balance in your life. Are you kidding me? When you've got something that's worth doing that's really critical, you're all in. And your kids should know that, everybody should know that. But you can't do that all the time, and other times you're all in on your kids. We had our uh, general counsel of ours, we were doing a billion dollar deal. We're in the middle of negotiating a deal, he gets up and he leaves the room. So. Somebody says, is he going to the restroom? I said, no, I think his daughter has a volleyball game. So everybody laughed, and they said, no, where's he really going? I said, no, his daughter has a volleyball game. They said, you let him go? I said, I didn't let him go. He didn't ask my permission. He went. It's the most important thing to him. I would have gone, too. Luckily, my daughter, there'd be nobody here to negotiate with. And so they were shocked. And I was shocked that they were shocked. And in the closing dinner, they brought that up, and they used those same words. You let him go. I said, I didn't let him go. That's not how we work. When you have really good people, like your goal is to keep them. Like it's not they can go and work in hundred places. You got to create an environment that's fun, that's challenging, that you know, that makes them a part of the team. So they don't work for me. We work together. That's how we build build teams. And you just get the best people that way. But but we also insist on having fun. And you know, don't confuse, we take our business seriously, but we don't take ourselves very seriously. So, and sometimes that can go a little, little wrong. We had an investor call, I put some water on, you know, we had a new investor uh, relations person, I put some water on his seat, and when he sat <laughs> down, he jumped up, it was his first meeting, he knocked the speaker off the table, 100 investors were disconnected, our board was disconnected, People said, what happened? And I had to explain it. It was awkward, but everybody but it's memorable. was okay. It everybody was, will remember. He will never forget yeah. that day. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. So, um, but you know, that's, I mean, we want to make it, look, when you work this hard, you want to have fun. Every day matters. Do something that's worthwhile to invest that kind of time. Good words of wisdom. So I, you know, I did spend four years in Germany, and we're like right on time, <laughs> even though I'm not a, I'm not a very good planner. Uh, maybe we'll take literally one, two, maybe three questions, just to uh, I know everybody's schedule is tight as well. Hi, um, my name is Blake Dodge, and I'm a senior healthcare reporter, at Business Insider, Glenn, as you know. Um, so as you guys were going up to this stage, it was announced that David Feinberg is going to be leaving Google Health to join Cerner as CEO. And not to read too much into that, but they just had a big reorg, and Google Health has struggled. As the journal reported in June, Apple once envisioned disrupting primary care. Four years later, they've been unable to do that. Haven obviously disbanded after just three years, as you mentioned. So my question is like, why does big tech struggle so much in healthcare? 
Sure. Well, I think if there's, it's a great question. Um, I think there's two words that matter in healthcare. One is experience, and the other is alignment. Those two words, and everything you do, everything you think about, ought to focus on those two words. So, you know, people say big tech is coming to healthcare. It's not. It's always been unsuccessful. It's never about technology. Anytime you're talking about technology, you're losing. People aren't interested in your technology. They're interested in what's the experience. So who is coming? What's going to change healthcare? It's big consumer. So who's big consumer? Amazon and Walmart. And I would reverse that order. 200 million people. And these are the people who matter. This isn't the high end, we're going to make your concierge service even better. This is, the, this is middle America that we got to fix. We got to fix the delivery of healthcare. Walmart, nobody better positioned. Guess what? You need bricks and mortar to do that. You can't just do it digitally. But they understand customers. People don't say Walmart is a high-tech company, even though they use tons of technology. They're really smart. That's where you go to shop. Ask those 200 million people. They aren't going to a tech store. They're going to Walmart to buy things. And similarly, Amazon set aside Amazon Web Services. People said, what was Amazon? It's a bookseller. Well, it's a lot more than that. And if you look at, at Jeff's vision, it was about becoming the store, the everything store. That's what he called it. Um, he, I want to be the everything store. He didn't say, I want to be the high tech provider. That was almost dumb luck that they, you know, if you understand how that happened, they needed AWS and then it became a business. Now they're doing that with delivery and everything else. They're larger than FedEx now in delivery and we'll start to see that branded and a number of other services. But the two big players that are going to change healthcare for the masses are going to be Walmart, headed by Cheryl Pegas, who's amazing, and, um, and then Amazon. And Amazon's gonna, it's gonna be tougher because they're starting you know, from pretty much ground zero in terms of bricks and mortar. So they gotta figure that out. They first went to payers and said, why don't we partner? Like, let's risk share. And the payers said, not on your life. So that, so now we'll see. You know, as for uh, David, I mean, I think you know, Cerner's a great company. It actually has, I think, the best platform in healthcare in terms of electronic health records you know, in terms of connectivity and the like, they haven't taken advantage of it. It's great that they're getting a leader like David to, um, uh, you know, to join. And I think his stepping out of Google, you know, that's, Google's a tech company. And, you know, they'd have to make some fundamental changes to really get into healthcare. So, and some of my friends over there are gonna kill me now. Sure. Ritesh. So, I agree with you on all of the stuff you just said. So, what Can you we get that on video, that, his, that statement about? I'll say it again if you want it on video, but he's going to tweet it, I think. <laughs> I agree with Glenn Tillman, whatever he said, right? So what you've described, though, there's a fellow by the name of Jeff Arnold in Atlanta who's built. Have you looked at what he's done at ShareCare sure. and how that is done? Because you've got 94 million people on that platform, right? Yeah. I, look, I think that's a great platform. I, Jeff is been a great entrepreneur. I remember way, way, way back when. And so... WebMD days. Yep. And uh, his vision, he's always been a big vision guy. And I think that's great. You know, one of the things that we've said at Transparent is it's not just about getting somebody to the right care. That's what navigators do. It's getting them through the care. So we want to expand from to to through. 
and get people that entire experience and have it be something that they say, this was amazing. I mean, I, you know, uh, I just had somebody call me. I got one of those random calls and they said, I don't know who to call. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. They think it's not operable, terrible. And they call me like, what in the world are they calling me for? I'm not a doctor. And I put them to our second opinion um, partners. And literally a week or two later, this individual called back. He said, this may be the second most valuable thing anybody's done for me in my life other than delivering my kids. Like, they got us to the right doctor. It was absolutely operable. They, like, they handled it like, how do I pay you back? That's, that's what everybody ought to get. And that's what we're delivering. So it's not just to, it's through. Share care is great. And I applaud Jeff. He's always been an innovator. And I hope he keeps doing it. And, you know, again, there's going to be more than one platform like that. I'm Julia Higgles. I am at Ipsos in charge of our digital health practice. And um, my question is uh, for you, Glenn. As we see consolidation in the industry, because there are so many very impressive new digital health companies figuring it out together, every guest that Eugene has had on his Digital Health Today podcast is just another impressive entrepreneur. But at the same time, um, for patients who um, want a patient-centric experience and have comorbidities, they're not going to necessarily want 45 health apps on their phone. So I'm just curious, what do you see coming or what is your hypothesis around consolidation in, in the industry? If it is um, by indication area or therapeutic area or underneath you know, payers or provider systems? Yeah, I think in terms of consolidation, again, I would go back to that word experience, and that is what we learned at Livongo was that if you're dealing with someone with type 2 diabetes, 70% of those people have hypertension. Um, about half of those people have those issues because of a weight management issue. And then last but not least, something like a quarter of those people have behavioral health challenges because if you're dealing with all those other conditions, it's probably appropriate that you have some behavioral health challenges. Maybe you get depressed every once in a while or the like. So when we talked to those people, some of those people had four or five different coaches, multiple apps, multiple people calling them, no coordination. Then they had their own personal health physician, and it was a nightmare. And some of them said, this is too much, like I give up. And they were giving up not because of the chronic conditions, but because of the mess we had created for them. We didn't make them healthier. We had different people prescribing all these different meds, conditions, apps. And so what we did was create one place, one app, one coach, and make it easier for them to stay healthy. So I think in chronic conditions, that worked. Along the way, some people came to us, employers called us, particularly after Haven was announced, and they said, hey, can you expand this to other areas in healthcare? And we said, no, you know what? This is one, it's big enough. We know what we're doing, we're good at it, and this is the natural place to stop. It's not, if you have this, you don't generally jump to surgery. That's not what you do. So, so we were content to own that space because that's what fit in what our health consumers told us. So I think it's very different. Surgery, for example, if you're looking at that, that may only happen once. You may only get one knee surgery in 10 years. 
that's very different. It's also why you should get expert guidance on it, because you're only going to go through it once. Somebody else does it 25 times a day, and you want to get real guidance. So I think healthcare is complex. If you're on a cancer care regimen, you've got to get the best care, but also centers of excellence, we acquired the leader in that space, and we immediately changed the business. Because currently, center of excellence businesses, they get paid to fly you to a center of excellence. That's not always the best solution. So we said, what about local market, high quality there? What about appropriate site of care? So it may not be a center of excellence, maybe a surgery center. What about first seeing if they even need the surgery, second opinion? So we have to put this together in a different way. We can't have people making money for doing the wrong thing. Um, so, so again, I think you have to look at what is the experience of somebody going through it? How do we look at that and think truly with a consumer's hat on? And you know, what I always say to our people is there's only one guiding principle. Imagine on the other end of the line, it was your son or daughter, mother or father, loved one. What would you tell them? Would you say go to the lowest place we can, lowest uh, cost place we can find? You know, I want you to use you know this because it's better for us. I'm getting paid to do this. No, you'd, you'd want them to have the best care in the world. That's what we want to do. And frankly, if it costs more, it costs more. I'm prepared to have that discussion with an employer. We took care of these people just like it was your own family because, you know, that's what we want to do. That's our mission. That's what health care is about. Glenn, I thought you were going to answer on one side, clinical is transparent and corporate well-being would be your coach. That's it. Uh, Ten seconds. That's <laughs> Do I need to say that on? on? No, you don't have okay. to, but I'm, I'm okay. saying it. <laughs> 4 a.m., 4 a.m. Um, we'll take one more and then wrap it up. Hey, Glenn. Um, you know, the vision you've described is fantastic, and there's a bunch of us that are also physicians and providers and whatnot. When we look at the way corporate medicine has kind of moved over the last several years, it's been pretty much becoming employees, you know, punching a card, filling out a form, getting online. When we start looking to see how Transcarent and other companies are out there are transforming healthcare, how do we participate and how do we get to a point where we can do what you just described, which is if it was my son or my daughter or my uncle or aunt, give the care that I would want to give instead of what I'm instructed to do within a certain time period within a certain billing code. Well, I think as um, one is going to be how you get to working with high-quality health systems um, because, again, in our model, we're going to, people can go anywhere because the good news is they get to keep their existing plan. We don't, everything is additive. So somebody has a plan, they're with a particular, you know, health, per, health insurance company, that's fine. We come in and say, you can use this app and you get a number of new options. And those options are going to be with high-quality providers. Um, they're going to be with high-quality institutions. And we're going to share all that rating information. And, and, you know, this is hard for a lot of health systems. Like we say, we're going to put you right next to another quality health system in your market. They say, can't we be exclusive? No. Nobody wants you to be exclusive. They want a choice. They want a choice of here's the threest high-quality options. And if you don't think that's going to happen, you should be ahead of that. Otherwise, you can play the other game, which is be the lowest cost provider and do the wrong thing regularly. And, 
that's, there is that option out there. You're doing it right now, and you're competing in that world. So the high-quality players love that. And frankly, the top you know, employers actually like that too. I mean, there's not a dichotomy there between those two. And they want it, you know, so, so I think we're going to open up those opportunities more and more. You're going to see people who say, because there's a battle for talent and there's good companies, and there are more and more people who say, look, we want quality care for our people and their families. And I also want to, if we're successful, we're going to get to extending that to states, to Medicaid programs that deserve it, and to Medicare, which will take longer. But I think we're going to have options to do it in those places, too. Everybody ought to have a choice in their health care. Nobody ought to be forced to go anywhere. And everybody you know, ought to have some options relative to cost and, and quality as well. So we'll have a better health care system if we can do that. Thank you very much. That's a wrap. Um, I don't know how long. You can stick around, maybe five, ten minutes, for sure. some conversations. But mm -hmm. otherwise, thank you. Love and to. Thank you for coming up. Thank you.